sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, Aaron, it's uh, good to hear your voice, uh, see your face. Uh, glad we're getting back kind of into the rhythm of the show. That's a, uh, it's better. It's a strange rhythm when we have an <laughs> interview from last week. And <laughs> What day is it, by the way? Is it Wednesday or Thursday? Uh, I do believe you know, I have to look at my monitor. It's Thursday. Yeah. They're all running together for me, man. That is yeah. It's crazy. a Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's been a while since we actually dug into the mailbag. I, I, our listeners have been more faithful about writing to us than we have been about, uh, responding or reading the letters. Uh, there are more here than I can possibly read on air, but I thought I'd pick out a couple, by the way, thanks for those of you who are suggesting topics and suggesting guests. Uh, we've gotten some really good suggestions in the last few weeks. Uh, what do you think? You want to hear a letter, Aaron? Yes. I love letters. Okay. Well, this one comes from Warren. He says, mateys, I just caught up with the episode where Aaron talked about his fear of eternity growing up. I completely relate, except I haven't found a measure of peace, like he said. To be completely honest, if I dwell on an eternity too long, I'll feel like I'm about to throw up, shit my pants, or both. I'm always seeking answers and peace on the topic, even as far back as being a young Christian in the ballpark of fourth grade. I still remember my mom taking me to see the pastor before a service. Hell, I'm becoming uncomfortable writing this email. I still struggle with fear. I hear people talking about being ready to get off this ball of mud. They can't wait, etc. And I wish I felt the way they do. When talk about eschatology and end times stuff pops up, I check out and pray, Terry, Lord, so we can save one more. I've struggled with thoughts and even plans of suicide since being 11 or 12 years old. And honestly, that fear was the one thing that kept me from making an attempt. That being said, I've declared my victory over that fear multiple times, only to be paralyzed again not too long after my declaration. So I won't make a declaration this time except to say thank you. It's given me a new perspective to consider. That is, what do you say to that letter there, Aaron? That's great. Um, I I want to say this to start with because suicide was mentioned, and mm-hmm. uh, I've certainly experienced that with people close to me. Yeah. Uh, so before answering the question, just for the sake of all listeners, uh when you are feeling that you have to talk about it and get get some help, even if it's just Googling a hotline, there are people that will direct you to good good resources. But yeah, uh, it is so hard when you're walking in that and feeling alone. So, anyways, I want to put that caveat out there and and take that statement seriously. Um, I, I think it's interesting uh, you know i can't fix this for our friend and i so wish i could but it's interesting to me how much the word fear was connected 
to so many aspects of that story. Yeah. And as far as the, the fear of eternity thing, I, I mm-hmm. think it's, I grew up in a church that was big into evolution debates and they were oh, yeah. big into studying the book of revelation. Mm. And uh, I, I don't care. Oh, what, uh, did you have Did you have the chart at the front of the church? Oh, did you have the big of chart? Course we had the chart, and of course we went oh. the Left Behind movies. That ironically, yeah. the, the soundtrack. <laughs> no, it's the Thief in the Night, right? Thief in the Night, man. Yeah. yeah, the soundtrack was the same from Monty Python: Search for the Holy Grail. For anyone that didn't <laughs> notice that, I was terrified of guillotines for years after that. Um, yeah. But uh, here we are focusing on these these two things. One is time before time, and one yeah. is time after time. Yeah. And so there's going to be fear around that because my only experience, my only actual experience, physical, is with finite things. Things that have beginning yes. and things that have end. Everything I've ever experienced is that. And both ends of the spectrum are asking me to have faith because there Mm. are no tools by which to measure or find comfort in those things. There are no tools to measure the infinite. Right. So that gave me a lot of comfort to be like, okay, good. I don't have to figure this out. And I should probably talk about these things with a hell of a lot less arrogance (laughs) because Mm. there's no way I'm totally right about any of it. Yeah. And so the fear is so normal. And sometimes knowing why I can't know something helps me let go of some of that fear. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Really good. Hey, let me read another letter here. Uh, This one comes from uh, our good friend, Clint. He says, it was refreshing to hear the interview with Brad Jerzak. Recovery seems to be a place where I most often have to leave my echo chamber in order to get help. I was reminded that I should not try to encapsulate my belief system into a neat and tightly compressed set of ideas. The mystery to, quote, comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, unquote, doesn't fit into a tightly squeezed, highly polished box like I tend to gravitate towards. I'm becoming more open to moving away from my old eight primary crayon set to the ultimate 200 color bucket set. Love you guys, Clint. That's a beautiful way to put it, isn't it? It is totally great. And he's really talking about the same thing, right? Here, the yeah. that I can't pretend to know perfectly. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. That brings in all those other colors. But I yeah. think it takes a lot of maturity and growth in each of us to start adding colors and not be afraid. Uh oh, mm. if I don't hold tight to that box, I feel like everything will unravel and fall out. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, yeah. oh, that's such a. I, I really. I really like Jesus. Uh, watching him. I, I do too. <laughs> Go ahead. I know. It sounds like the Christian thing to say. Uh, 
I, I, I so love watching him with his disciples, how he didn't make things tighter and neater theologically yes. for them in their understanding of God. He kept yeah. expanding things outward, which sometimes caused incredible confusion for them. And he was okay with mm-hmm. that because right. the spirit was going to lead them into all truth. I just, I, I love that he's not afraid of that mess. And it also makes me look at years of preaching thinking, why did it always seem like my job was to make things super clear so that everybody understands it and it's in a neater box when that's the opposite of what Jesus did because he wasn't afraid of people's journeys. Oh, wow. Right. Right. That's good. And I, I, if there's one thing that uh, recovery has done for me, it has, you know, blown up, greatly expanded and really kind of exploded most of my uh, limited ideas about God. Cause I really was, I was given a very basic set of crayons and a small piece of paper and the picture, you know, the portrait was to stay on the page. And, uh, and then in recovery, you know, I encounter a God who does things, you know, he shows grace where he shouldn't. And he, he shows up where he doesn't belong. And, uh, yeah. And, 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 God, st- and God is not consistent at all yeah. throughout scripture. And anyone that's <laughs> the consistency, like, well, but it's, it's this, and it ties into that. Let me explain. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Like, no, God, God seems to not care that I judge him consistent. Yeah. Which is great because yeah. it opens up so many opportunities to get grace in areas that if he was consistent in certain things, yeah, it would be nothing but lightning bolts around here. Yeah, God just seems to. I'm sorry for for anybody. <laughs> hey, we've got a yes. Go. We got a good interview here coming up. We got. We've got a great. We have got a great. Uh, uh, conversation coming up with a guest who I have to admit I I expected that he would come kind of with eight crayons and uh, he didn't man this is a guy who uh, took a lot of time in uh, creating the project that he's recently put out he really uh, lives deeply thinks deeply speaks deeply about uh you know the mystery and wonder of the christian life which isn't to say that there's no clarity in what he says i found a lot of clarity but at the same time not this uh you know tight frightened uh consistency that so often accompanies uh teaching especially around masculinity uh, yeah so great conversation You're going to love Morgan Snyder. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. And we are so privileged to have as our guest this week, Morgan Snyder, uh, the founder of become better soil becoming better soil i've already i've already it's already evaporated from okay become good soil become good soil there it is become good soil he's also on the executive team at wild at heart been working with john and stacy eldridge for more than 20 years and serves there with ransomed heart ministries uh writer author 
uh, speaker, coach, mentor. Uh, Champion adult kickball league third baseman. There you go. Oh, man, that's you. That's you. But I guess I'll take it. You know what? My, one of my mentors said, never let the truth get in the way of a great story. So there you go. <laughs> so uh, I'm just, I'm curious to hear the story of, of how you came to all of those uh, laudable accolades that Nate has thus presented. Yeah. Were you, were know, you raised, yeah. raised in a Christian home, Morgan? I wasn't. I was not. Uh, my mom was a, a Catholic, my dad a Jewish, and largely God was not uh, a culture in the home. But I think the best way to get into that is that um, I, I came to a pretty radical, um, confident place in God in college. And it was just repentance was enough. It was addictions to leadership and women and all the places I went to find the answer to the ache of my soul for masculine validation and masculine love. But I think the biggest piece looking back now at 45 is though I came into a confident trust in God, what didn't heal was the boy on the inside. So I found myself in a man's world, but a boy on the inside. And so even though I had this faith, what I lacked was wholeheartedness. What I lacked was a path and process of initiation to become mature, to become the kind of man that brings strength rather than my question, that can operate out of courage and love and authenticity. So, yeah, it's been Let's, a wild let me, story. Let me, There's a lot of details. Let me, let me pause on that because what a fantastically screwed up statement to say that to be a man, you had to go back and address the boy which feels like the least masculine thing, you know, let's hunt a boar or, you know, do some Lord of the Flies stuff. But the idea that I have to go back and deal with the boy who has never initiated so that I can get to understand this man that God has called me to be, not only does that seem counterintuitive, but it also sounds very pop psychology, which is also not manly. So how how do you explain that to guys who are looking for genuine Christian masculinity, but you have to go and address those boy wounds and deficiencies? Yeah, Aaron, that's a beautiful question. It's actually, um, in some ways, one of the central questions. Let me start with a toilet, okay? Let me start with a toilet. Young married, young 20s, I've got a wife who I love, who I have pledged my life to, and I'm going to fight for the beauty and I'm going to be heroic. And the toilet in our little townhome broke and I freaked out and because I didn't know what to do. And so I, I couldn't have put words to it at the time, but here's the internal situation. I'm in my mid twenties and I'm scared of a toilet. And here's why. I grew up in a household with a dad who was a, a prominent doctor. He was a physician and he grew up poor, and so he became a person in society that provided love through finances, and he had a very prestigious career, and he wasn't home. He wasn't around, and so in our house, when something broke, you called someone to fix it. You outsourced a lot of things. Well, I'm young married. I have no money. I own this townhome, which is fully financed. The toilets broke. My wife has to go to the bathroom and I don't have the money to get it fixed and I don't know what to do. And so even though I'm 25 on the outside, what's presenting 
is an eight-year-old, a 12-year-old boy on the inside going, oh, shit. Mm -hmm. And this isn't about a toilet. This is about feeling powerful. This is about feeling like I have what it takes. And so fast forward over the decades, it's learning to pay attention to what age is the part of me that's mm. presenting in this situation or relationship. And so that was the beginning of becoming a son and turning to God as father and being apprenticed, not only with my hands, but all of it to, to heal the whole of the inside of a man. I, I have yeah. to know what happened with the toilet. It's <laughs> a beautiful story. Well, my wife didn't get to go to the bathroom for a while, but I'll tell you what I did and I'll never forget. it. So I'm sitting in the parking lot of Home Depot. This is pre-YouTube, pre-internet. Sure. And I remember saying, God, you say you're a father, but I'm not real sure about that. I don't even know if I want that, but I need a dad. I, I need fathering. And so the scriptures say, I'm your son and you're my father. And so here today, right now, I'm asking, would you become my father? And, and we see things not as they are, but as we are. And so the father was pursuing me for years, but I wasn't accessible. So I walk into Home Depot, go in the plumbing aisle, and there's a guy three generations older than me, kind, with a light in his eye. And I said, I have no idea what to do. And I get emotional right now, even going back to that moment. And you know what he said? He said, son, I can help you with that. And we go in and he gets me parts and three or four trips later to Home Depot, <laughs> the toilet was working, right? You yeah. know that. But what was yeah. better is something bigger than a toilet needed healed. And it was my masculine soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I love that, you know, Voltaire was a bit of a dick, but uh, even though he didn't love God, he had one of the best God quotes. In the beginning, God created man his own image, and man has been trying to uh, repay the favor ever since. Oh, wow. wow. So when, wow. You, when you describe this dad who was super busy, kind of absent, and then you become a man, and you're trying to learn to know God as father, what were some of those hurdles that you had to stop remaking God in your dad's image and let him be the father that he said he is in scripture? Aaron, you, you ask good questions. And I think I just want to commend you. That there's something very astute. There's something very perceptive in your soul. And so in some ways, I want to ask that question back to you. But while you think <laughs> about it, um, I, I think, Aaron and Nate, it was a process of becoming aware of what have I come to believe about the Father. You know, our, our core belief system is way deeper than our creedal statements and our, uh, our, our actual oh, theology, right? Buddy. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Say that one more time. Say that. Oh, God. It's yeah. true. Our true beliefs are far below. Our creedal mm. statements. You know, Dallas Willard yeah. said actions reveal belief yeah. 100% of the time. And that's a big piece of addiction recovery is when a person is a sinner saved by grace. Well, the problem is that's an indictment. If all mm. you are in your core identity is a sinner saved by grace, that means you can get grace 
and feel better and improve a little bit. But fundamentally, you're a sinner. But that's yeah. not what that, the gospel says. You're an image bearer that below the brokenness, below yes. the, the damage yeah. you've done, the truest thing about you is you bear the image of God as a man, mm. that you are glorious. And you, yes, face ter- terrible addictions and struggle. That's not the truest thing. And so yeah. when you can speak to the identity and recover the true thing, then addiction loses its power because it simply doesn't have the primary claim on who you are. And so who is the father? What is he like? We have to become aware first of what we believe. And when I look at my actions, when I was racing through the house and I grabbed the vitamins a couple weeks ago and they all spill on the floor and I just go, crap. And I pause and I say, what do I mean crap? And what I realize is I'm in a hurry and I don't have time for the mess that I made. What's below the hurry? Below the hurry is scarcity, scarcity Mm. of time. What's below the scarcity of time? An orphan and a boy that thinks he needs to find love by coming through. And that's not true. And so every moment of action is an opportunity to really recover what we really believe about God, about ourselves, and really believe about God as a father. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, what you're really saying, I think, I want to throw this out and let you say if this is what you're saying. Sin, when sin becomes a main character instead of a plot point, then sin isn't conquered yet which then defeats the cross as opposed to the cross defeating sin. And then it's always just Jesus died on the cross for my sin, which is true, but it's not Jesus died on the cross for my new life, my resurrection to pay for my adoption, to be perfectly loved. All of that gets left out and it's just Jesus died on the cross for my sin. So how can I ever truly see myself as being perfectly beloved? Because sin is always the main thing piece of the equation is, mm. is that kind of yeah, where the identity yeah, I, starts to get screwed up yeah i think it's well said i think i think what I, where i name it is we we will never live beyond our identity and so what we've come to fundamentally believe about who we are ultimately becomes our destiny And that's why even like the idea of desire reveals design, design reveals destiny. And so one of my favorite kind of proverbs is a Scottish proverb. I don't know who said it, but it's brilliant. It says, you speak often of my drinking, but you speak little of my thirst. That's great. Isn't isn't that beautiful? Because we talk about the drinking, we talk about the addiction, we talk about the the men of just, you know, ransacked families and kingdoms over sexual addiction. But what we fail to get to with compassion and mercy is, son, why the reach for comfort? Why Mm. the reach for of validation why the reach to feel warm and feel loved and feel strong and feel satisfied son what what is it that you're looking for the reach isn't for sexual dysfunction the reach is for god that Mm, is the fountain for which we seek and so when you know that then we can come to our own story with compassion and say oh son where where did you lose your way let me help you recover I know who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reminds me of that famous quote, the man who knocks on the brothel door is looking for God. 
Yes, he's looking. Uh, yeah, for yeah, yeah. Mm. So I don't know if you uh, specifically answered the question in your experience with your dad. What were some of the roadblocks that were put in that experience that you were unaware of that you had to knock down by the power of the gospel to discover your true father in heaven? Yeah. You know, I, I think I think sin comes in commission and omission. Sin comes in active choice and it also comes in passivity. And as we know, men were meant to engage. Passivity is never associated with true masculinity. And so I think I have to start of what was lacking, you know, Aaron, what was missing in my story? And I can tell you one was simply um, affection, appropriate physical affection, emotional connection, life on life. You know, Robert Bly wrote an interesting book on masculine initiation. He says there's literally something like a substance that passes from man to boy. When a father and a son spend time doing tactile things together, I can't explain it, but when my son and I do shoveling in Colorado's winter storms and we're just out there, you know, in our car hearts together, there's something passing from the father to the yeah. son. And so I lack touch. I lacked words of validation. I lacked the safe place to take the questions that were very valid but I did it. I, I felt shame. And so the answer to shame and fear is you're on your own. You have to figure it out rather than, oh, son, son, that that's normal. You're on time. Let me show you the way we can recover this together. And I think another big thing was I lacked someone pointing me to a father beyond his power. So, my, you know, my dad was heroic and he came through. For the family and the message to me was well if i need to be if i'm going to be a man i need to be heroic i need to be the strongest man in my world and i write about this a lot in becoming a king unpack it in the video series and help men excavate this in the study guide but i came to a point where my dad no longer was strong enough and i felt on my own and, and literally the center of my world cracked because the source of strength was was insufficient but as a father now what i what i long to do is a point point my family to god as father to say the good news is i'm not strong enough but i'm not the source i'm simply an ambassador and a messenger to connect you to the to the inextructive indestructible source that leads wow. to something i was excited to ask you and so glad that you're here uh because i think you'll give a great answer to this I have known guys that reading Wild at Heart or going to a retreat in Colorado has been life-changing and amazing. And I've also known a handful of guys that have understood Wild Heart to be, you need to reclaim your manhood, and that means you should be a dude bro. You need to enjoy watching football and hunting, kill some shit, skin it, eat it. And they were usually guys that uh, loved going to the theater or they, they enjoy proper diction and, and a large vocabulary. And they're like, I am not anything like the quote men that I see portrayed. And they kind of convoluted the messages, which yeah. what you're talking about is so different. So what do you say to a person that doesn't necessarily fit in a stereotypical idea of masculinity 
that thinks he has no place in the church to become a man and a beloved son of a father. Yeah, I, you know what I'd say, Aaron, with compassion is thank God. Thank God you don't fit into a caricature of masculinity. You know, the most dangerous threats, I should say, to true wholehearted masculinity are caricatures of masculinity. And here's what the enemy does is every one of us has a caricature that haunts us to say, if you were a real man, then you would do this, then you would be this. And so, I, you know, one of the greatest moments of masculine initiation for me was to do salon parties with my daughter and begin giving her pedicures and foot scrubs. I was terrified. My, my precious daughter said, hey, Ma, Grammy gives me foot scrubs. Will you give me foot scrubs? And I was out of my element. And so here's the key is a, a, a true man replaces caricature with a different question. What is it that I fear? In other, and let me ask it this way. Where do I feel uncomfortable in the realm of masculinity? And, and, and that's why you guys, that's where it gets very intimate and very personal. Repentance and restoration is very personal for the guy that's worked on heavy machinery and knows how to handle his vehicle. One of the deepest ways of initiation for him is to put on a tie and get dressed up and go to a meal at a four star restaurant with too many forks and too many glasses. And the man that's confident in the boardroom is great at golfing. There's a time where he needs to fix something. He needs to cut his own grass. You see, it's not about a caricature, real men hunt, real men play chess, real men do this or don't do that. The real question is, how do you recover all of what God meant when he meant masculinity? And for every one of us, there is vulnerability in that, there's things we need to explore that are uncertain. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this, Morgan. You wait, described wait, Nate, 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 before you say it, I just I just have to say, when you were talking about scrubbing your daughter's feet and that that was a scary masculine moment, I was just superimposing Jesus on his knees, scrubbing 12 other dudes' feet, being like, <laughs> yeah, I, I told you this was the example. So yeah. just, you know, that was a beautiful picture of you risking being exactly christ-like that's awesome yeah. Wow, yeah. Thank you. all right go ahead Nate. yeah i want to i, I want to you you mentioned when you were describing kind of your early life uh your life as a young man you talked about addictions and you named one that isn't normally named and you talked about being addicted to leadership and tied it to uh, looking for validation uh, i'm wondering how has your a leadership style and the way you relate to other men changed as you've grown in your understanding of true masculinity. Mm. Yeah, that's insightful. It's changed dramatically. And I, I think one way to get to it is I didn't understand, Nate, that I was addicted to leadership. I couldn't have put words to that for quite mm -hmm. a, a long time in my life. But where I found it was every, you know, it's been said that hurting people hurt people. Right. And so I started looking at the pain that I caused in the lives of people I love. 
And mm-hmm. I started excavating, where is that rooted? And then I yeah. started asking this question, well, why? I'm ultimately looking for love. Where and how do I find love? In other words, this sentence is so helpful in restoration of the masculine heart of, I am loved when? Mm-hmm. And again, below the theology, below what you think you should say, if you look at your life over a day, over a week, over a year, and let your actions fill that in. I am loved when. Mm. Okay, it's a treasure hunt. And here's the sentence of Morgan Snyder. I am loved when I come through for people. Mm. And I didn't understand that until I looked at my entire life, Nate, and I am a gifted leader. That is part of God's image in me. That's the Imago Day. But when right. it's in the service of false self, when it's in the service of the inner child, that's that's unhealed then mm. i seek love by coming through for people and so my coming through and being heroic can look sanctified it can look beautiful you know the world rewards it right yeah if you're severely overweight the world condemns you for it but if your gift is achieving and coming through and being a an entrepreneur and a strategist the world gives you accolades and so it's actually very damaging when it works. We have to come to a point where say it, we believe it's actually no longer working. It's not healing and restoring relationship. And so I had to excavate that. And so, so much of my leadership for many years was simply a, a desperate cry for validation. Do you see me? Am yeah. I a man? Do I have what it takes? But now I lead um, out of a very different energy. I, I, I lead for love. I in 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 my false self, I was a I was a total extrovert. But in my mm. true nature, I find I'm a total introvert. <laughs> I'm an introvert. Like I do this yeah. out of love, not out of, yeah. of compulsion. Does that make sense? It does. And I've come to that same insight about myself within just okay, the last you, year. Nate, I want to hear for you. Reflect yeah. back on the same idea. Well, no, no, no. I mean, you you described so well uh, the landmarks in my own journey. I'm a good performer. I can inspire. I can lead. But but for so long, and I, yeah, man, for some of us, wisdom comes so late in the game. I'll be 65 on my next birthday, and only recently, I think, have I. Well, I sacrificed a couple decades to active addiction when I pretty much went offline as far as any kind of personal growth. Uh, but now, yeah, to see that, you know, for all those years, I was just dancing as fast as I could and pedaling as hard as I could in order to prove my worth and get validation and get love. Uh, yeah, to have a reliable source of love and a secure identity uh, that allows me to actually explore solitude and enjoy my introversion. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you didn't discover it, right? You have to yeah. discover that. Because at first it it to move to the true self often feels like death. Right? Yeah. You have to pass through a death to get to a later life a greater life. And that's where the beauty of addiction recovery communities, we know like the rubber meets the road. It's life or death, and you have to put to death a way of living or relating in order that you can get to life. Yeah. Yeah. Although, Morgan, Nate, I, okay. I, I do want to make one correction of what you said. That okay. uh, when you said you what wasted a couple decades 
yeah, yeah. To when really you were just getting the foundation prepped. <laughs> I was getting my street cred. I don't know what was going on. No, yeah. you know I mean you were you were just as full. You were just as full of shit when you were a pastor <laughs> and all your performance stuff before you ever picked up a hooker. That's oh, true. That's that, true. That's. Yeah. It seemed like that was just a jackhammer to uh, a bad foundation. So I don't know. I, I just don't, I don't like you dissing those decades quite that hard. Okay. Well, I, I, thank I love you, brother. It. You know, Tozier said it, and I just was stopped when I read this, but he said, it's doubtful that God can entrust greatness to anyone before they have been crushed. Yeah. Yeah. Now there, there's something holy in those words, and that's that's the true um, debris of initiation that leads to joy in life. Yeah, but yeah. but there's also within the evangelical church great terror. If I've spent my life cultivating my own spirit fruit, which is then by my efforts, then I've got a whole garden and orchard of fake fruit trees that look perfect year round for everybody to gaze upon. And what you're describing is the first step towards maturity and manhood is you got to rip out the fake fruit. And that's the most spiritual looking orchard. But to everybody else, it just looks like broken devastation. Mm. Totally. Mm. And that's yeah. where I just love, you know, the way of God's, the way of the kingdom. There's a way things work. And Jesus says, you'll know it by its fruit. And so over time, and the best things in life do take time, like we find what is true and good and beautiful you know we're and our world is in in a beautiful time of being shaken right and yeah. hebrew says the world will be shaken so that what remains that cannot be shaken will be revealed and so what i love is the drought reveals the trees that don't have deep roots and the storm mm -hmm. reveal the trees that don't have a wide root base and so the whole mission of becoming a king is to surface the reality of what if the whole gospel is paradox? What if to build were actually meant to first excavate? What if, mm. what if the, the quick is actually the slow and steady? You know, what if that there's a path that leads to joy, but it is the, the, the process and path of becoming wholehearted. It's not just yeah. seeking momentary happiness. And so it's, it's well, not quick, and, and, it's not cheap and, and it's yeah. And what would it look like to be in communities that celebrate sprouts and not just full grown trees? Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm, mm. Right. But we just, you know, look on Google and look at today, Google the news and look at the top 10 stories mm -hmm. and just ask yourself how many of the top 10 stories are rooted in men mishandling power. Yeah. And most days it's the majority. And so the good news is there's a way things work and there's a way to be well. There's a way to be whole and there is a path and it does happen in community, but that's God's heartbeat and that's what he's after. And that's why I love the work that you guys are doing. Wow. Well, Morgan, you've mentioned the book. It's more than a book. It's a book. It's a video uh, DVD uh, uh, and, a, and a study guide. You really have poured yourself into, uh, and into, uh, really giving us a well thought through and well led resource. Talk to us about uh, becoming a king. 
I'm, I'm glad you explained that, Nick. When you said it's more than a book, I thought you were going to say it's an ashtray, it's a bottle opener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there sure were a lot of ashtrays and open bottles that were riding it over. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It, you know I really feel like part of my calling in the kingdom is to curate and distill. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of cheap beer out there, and um, I, I prefer I like. There's a time for cheap beer, and there's a time for single malt, and yeah. I like. A nice single malt, and uh, and I feel like part of my call was curate and distill all these ancient uh, wisdom literature and men that have gone before us to recover the ancient path. And so, becoming a king really started over two decades ago when I was with John Eldridge. I was the young man on the team, and I had all kinds of passion, and and I could see the check engine lights on my dashboard of my soul, and they were asking for attention and. On the outside, like you guys, the stories, I was killing it. But on the inside mm -hmm. was fear, anxiety, and I wasn't well. And so I was looking, how do you recover life? What's the most important thing? Where do we come from? Where are we going? How do you become a wholehearted man? And I set myself at the feet of wiser men and men like you, Nate, gray-haired in their 60s. And I found the oldest, wisest guys that I could find and asked them the questions. And I risked vulnerability. And I said, help me. Help me find my way as a young man. And I spent two decades unpacking their counsel and starting to curate it and live it out in the context of young marriage, young kids, young career. And what I found is it was paradox, that it was... It was the parable of the sower and the seeds, that there is a supernatural reality to the gospel, but it's hidden in the least likely places. And so I took the lower seat at the table when the world told me to get out in front. And I took years to write a book when the world says, capitalize on your opportunity. Right. And, and I wrote it when I eventually became the kind of person that didn't want to be in front of an audience and didn't want to be a public figure. And that's mm -hmm. when God said, now you've become the kind of person I can entrust with this. And so I took a couple of years to write the study guide to make it a process to walk with a man through deep heart work of excavating a story and coming to restoration. And the film series is just a, a beautiful on-ramp to help connect to the hearts of men and, and just say, um, me too, me too. I see you. Wow because I see me and we can do this together. Wow, yeah. Well, thank you so much for that labor of love, that commitment. Uh, so I'm how do people connect with you and get your book and we'll ask their questions? Yeah, we're just scratching the surface today. So I, I just hope that God is, is just whispering in this podcast and there's something in your heart that's curious. And what I wanna say, friends, is there's so much more. There's mm. so much more. And um, yeah, we're in, in this, becomegoodsoil.com is the home base for all the blogs and podcasts of, of consenting to these older, wiser fathers over uh, two decades now. But becomingaking.com, there's the book and the study guide video series. And there's a hidden page that has forward slash gift, G-I-F-T. And there's a bunch of uh, ways you can get a lot of it free, a beautiful conversation from my wife and the wives of my closest friends who walk through this journey together in community for over a decade where mm. they unpack. The women say, what's it like to live with him? And it's mm. a very raw and beautiful set of conversations. All of that is becomingaking.com forward slash gift. 
All right. Fantastic. That's going to be an encouragement to our female listeners and the members of the Sarah Society, uh, that uh, kind of parallel group that seems to be growing quite quickly now. All right, Morgan, thank you so much for making the time to talk with us today. I look forward to more conversations in the future. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Nate. Really proud of what you do. Let's keep going. We're grateful for you. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Back on the Pirate Monk podcast, I I love that you started out this uh, the the interview or before the interview saying you expected him to come with eight crayons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I too was very pleasantly surprised. Um, mm-hmm. So that that was great. And another thing that he reminded me when I asked him about his father, and his first response was that makes me really curious to hear your story, which by mm-hmm. the way, we, we chatted afterwards about that. Uh, so he was serious about that, but I forget how much it means for people to be curious about each other. Oh yeah. And, and how important it is to feel known to have someone yeah. ask a question and make you feel understood and known in your past and your feelings. Um, and so that was, that was just great. I don't, mm. I can't remember many or any guests who have just asked a simple curious question like that. And it just made me think, do I, do I remember to do that with other people? Yeah. Or do I just launch yeah. into to my thing? Yeah. Yeah. I'm more often than not guilty of the latter. But I certainly, yeah, he's a he's a great presence. He's a good guy to be around, Morgan. And you can tell that uh, that was not an uncharacteristic thing for him to say when he no, when he wanted to know about you. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of the things that, that has made him such a good. You know, I'll even use the the M word, mentor. We don't often talk about mentors in Samson, but uh, I think Morgan's a guy who has earned the title. And it's, it's okay. This is this is totally a new topic, but I want to throw it out because I think it is so important. It's okay to desire to be known. I don't know about you, but that has felt kind of weak or pathetic to me. Like, mm. oh, I feel like I want them to know me, but okay, that's just, that's silly. Uh, being known is part of God's image in us. I mean, when Jesus was praying his high priestly prayer in the garden and he's praying for everybody else. And then he gets to this one line where he says, I desire, which you got to pause there. This is the God of the universe saying, this is what I want. Yeah. Yeah. The next thing is that he would be known. Mm. So Jesus says that for any of you that struggle with just kind of fading into the background, letting other people talk at the meetings, not wanting to push people to know you that feels like that would be inconvenient to them or embarrassing to you 
what you're feeling is actually the fingerprint of God on your soul reaching out to be known by the people in your community deeply. Mm. And Jesus mm. wanted the exact same thing for himself. That's yeah. crazy. Mind blown yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah. And we want to be known in all our complexity. It's not enough that people just know the bright and shiny about us. Um, that can feel very, very hollow. That just turns life into a performance and relationships are very shallow and very brittle. But when people exhibit a genuine curiosity and concern to know the full spectrum of our experience, uh, our failures as well as our successes, our weaknesses as well as our strengths, our uh, wounds as well as our joys, uh, and we don't have to present them with some cartoon version of ourselves in order to win or to uh, maintain acceptance, that is soul satisfying on a deep level. That is the great way to put it. That's where yeah, we get a yeah. lot of soul satisfaction. And it we receive God's grace through those other people in those moments. Yeah. Yeah. They aren't the one giving us soul satisfaction. He is. But this is a whole different topic. So anyways. Yeah. I, well I, hey listen our guest. Yeah. Listeners, uh we want to know you. Uh, we have a sincere uh, curiosity about you, your life, your journey. We want to know what you think, what you feel, what you like, what you want. Uh, and the way, best, easiest way for you to let us know is just to drop us a line at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. We don't read every letter on air, but we read every letter, and we'd love to hear from you. Well, Aaron, I think that wraps it for this episode. We have more great conversations coming up. Uh, but until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arr! <laughs>